Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host a podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'm going to review Prince's 1980 album, Dirty Mind. My first recollections of Prince are with the song Little Red Corvette, which I heard on the radio a ton back in 1982. It was a pop song with synthesizers, but it also had guitar and the vocalist had a smooth delivery that could ramp right up to falsetto screaming in a heartbeat. I then paid attention to the earlier single, 1999, and I dug the follow-up to Corvette, a track titled Delirious. I liked all of these songs, but it wasn't until a couple of years later when I got access to MTV that I actually saw Prince and thought he was kind of strange looking with his pencil-thin mustache, jerry-curled hairdo, and glitzy clothes. Then the Purple Rain Media Blitz hit. I saw the video for When Doves Cry, and that song just captivated me. I thought it was so unique and cool as fuck. The Purple Rain movie, along with the Let's Go Crazy single, came out shortly after, and Prince blew up to megastardom almost on par with Michael Jackson. He was suddenly everywhere. I couldn't resist any longer, and I got the Purple Rain album, and it became one of my favorite all-time records. I thought the tunes were a catchy blend of pop, rock, and funk. I love the occasionally explicit lyrics, and you couldn't get the cassette out of my Sony boombox for about a solid month in 1984. Now that I was a new Prince fan, I had to go back and pick up his earlier albums. The first one I got was 1999, the next one was Dirty Mind, and there you have it. Now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this record, brought to you by Wikipedia. You can wiki this, and you can wiki that. Dirty Mind is the third studio album by American recording artist Prince, released on October 8, 1980 by Warner Brothers Records. It was produced by Prince and was recorded from May to June 1980 at his North Arm Drive home studio, Orono, Minnesota, with mixing completed in June 1980 at Hollywood Sound Recorders, Los Angeles, California. It reached number 56 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified gold by the RIAA. Now here's the lineup card for this record. We have Prince on all vocals and instruments. <laughs> there are additional musicians that I'll mention as I see fit. Now it's time for a track-by-track -track analysis of this album. The opening track is the title track, Dirty Mind, written by Prince and Dr. Fink. This track is synthesizer-based, and Dr. Fink, who would later become a member of Prince's backing band The Revolution, wrote the main keyboard riff. The riff is grafted to a persistent pulsing rhythm, and there's a noticeable sparseness to the production that runs throughout not only this song, but the entire record. 
There's a clean funk guitar that comes in a bit later to round out the sound, but still the track feels bare, almost unfinished, like a demo. Prince sings in his falsetto, with backing harmonies performed in his normal voice. The lyrics describe Prince's lust for someone, how she inspires his dirty mind and all he wants to do is have sex with her. There's no chorus, but there is a bridge section where Prince's vocals are more intense and screamed out. While not a favorite of mine, this is a good tune and I dig it. This was the second single released off the album, and it reached number 101 on the Billboard 200 chart, though it did make number 5 on the U.S. R&B and number 5 on the U.S. dance charts. The next track is When You Were Mine, written by Prince. track is more guitar and rock oriented, but there's a keyboard melody that gives the song a pop tinge and sounds more in line with a new wave movement that was rising in the aftermath of late 70s punk rock. The melody is catchy as cooties, and combined with a clean guitar and minimalist synth solo, it still has that unfinished demo quality. Prince is still using his falsetto, and this time the lyrics begin to have a twisted bent. The narrator is so in love with his woman that he lets her sleep with his friends and indicates that he has threesomes with her and another man. I wonder how many people heard the When You Were Mine hook and thought the song was an I Miss You type of song without really examining the lyrics. Despite that lyrical oddity, I love this track, and even though it wasn't released as a single, it stands as a fan favorite, and I consider it a highlight of early Prince. Moving on, we get Do It All Night, written by Prince. Prince brings more funk in the bass on this one, and it's a basic mid-tempo funk jam with heavy R&B overtones. The synths bring some spacey atmosphere to the track and provide some whooshes to stimulate excitement, and Prince's vocals are game, but Parliament Funkadelic this is not. The guitar is relegated to the sidelines, barely commenting on the tune. The lyrics are exactly what the title implies, and Prince wants his chance to do it all night with a lady, even though she has another suitor. To my ears, the bass is the best part of this, as there's nothing special about this track, and it is my least favorite, what I like to call Aaron Stinky Stinker. So let's continue with Got a Broken Heart Again, written by Prince.
Ah, the slow jam, something Prince was a master of his entire career. This is very short, 2 minutes 16 seconds, but that's all Prince needs to communicate his pain, as his woman was stolen away from him and his life has fallen apart. It's about obsessive love that takes over his every waking thought and he can't rise out of it. The music is sympathetic to Prince's pleading vocals with a slow, clean guitar, silky smooth bass, and less emphasis on the keyboards this go around. Later in his career, Prince would do this type of song better in my opinion, but even at this point, he showed he had a command of the form. I feel his hurt. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Uptown, written by Prince and Andre Simone. This is more like it. The bass is tight and funky and was written by Andre Simon, Prince's early touring bassist, though Prince plays it himself on this track. There's a harder edge distorted guitar playing along with the clean guitar that jacks up the energy level of this tune and the synths are more of a background presence with occasional squiggly whooshes to add punctuation as the beat is danceable and funky. Prince even sings this with more gusto, throwing in a few of the screams that he would later become known for. I interpret the lyrics to be about freedom more than anything else. The freedom to express yourself as you really are, whether it's the way you dress, the way you look, or the way you think, regardless of your background. A lady asks Prince early in the song, are you gay, in a condescending tone, but he flips it on her and asks if she's gay. He recognizes her ignorance, and he ends up sleeping with her anyway. If you just go to Uptown Minneapolis, you can be free to dance in the streets and be yourself. The pre-choruses build up to the liberating release of the choruses, and I dig this track, one of the best on the record. Next up is Head, written by Prince. Here we go. One of the two infamous tracks on the album, Prince comes across a virgin bride-to-be on her way to her wedding and convinces her to give him a blowjob before getting hitched. He ejaculates at her wedding dress and they end up getting married to each other, free to orally pleasure each other morning, noon, and night. This marks the debut of Lisa Coleman, the piano and keyboard player who would become another member of the revolution, as well as later being a part of Wendy and Lisa, but that's another story. Here, Lisa gets her first opportunity as a vocalist, and she doesn't waste it, playing the bride-to-be who gets seduced by Prince. The music is just as dirty as the lyrics, with a slap bass funking out, and along with the drums, the groove stays in the sleazy pocket. The keyboard blips and squiggles are reminiscent of a P-Funk jam, and the solo section brings the space-age synth tones, all courtesy of Dr. Fink, making his other appearance on the record. Prince knew exactly what he was doing. He knew this track would get him some attention, and he was totally right. The critics ate this shit up. 
the dirty lyrics drew me in. But as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate the music more and dig the entire track as a whole. But we're not done. Because the penultimate track is Sister, written by Prince. Shit, I'm glad this isn't a Siblings on Record episode. This song is even nastier than the previous one, as Prince relates the story of his incestuous relations with his 32-year-old sister, begun when he was only 16. Prince says that incest is everything it's said to be. Uh, what? And of course, this has to be the lone guitar song on the album. I actually like the sound of this track, as it happens to be the fastest and hardest rocking thing on here. Fortunately, it whips right by in a minute and a half, the shortest track by far. That reminds me, the sister whips Prince too, and okay, everyone's got the gist of this one, right? This song is obviously the other tune that grabbed the attention of all the deviant music critics out there and garnered Prince some headlines. Wait a minute, I didn't even call this the stinky stinker. Does that make me a deviant music critic? Fuck you. And that brings us to the final track, Party Up, written by Prince and Morris Day. The story goes that Morris Day created a groove that Prince liked, and so Prince offered Morris a choice, $10,000 or help getting a record deal for use of the groove. Morris took the record deal, so Prince helped create the time for Morris in 1981, and the rest is history. This is another upbeat dance jam, at least in how it sounds, though the lyrics are more like a protest anthem including an acapella, we don't want to fight no more, you're gonna have to fight your own damn war, at the very end of the track. The bass is smooth and groovy, no slaps. The funk guitar is clean and prominent, and the spacey synths swoop in and out, announcing their presence as hand claps accent the backbeat. This is a continual 127 beats per minute groove. Even as the beat changes up slightly, and the vocals go from fighting war is such a fucking bore, to party up, got to party up. Don't resist. Just give in to the groove and ride this one out. You'll thank me later. Prince has got this. Now that the track by track is finished, I'll give you my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is the equivalent of bug barf. Prince was one of the most admired and respected artists of this or any other era, a true musical genius who could play damn near any instrument proficiently and had compositional skills that were second to none. He was a truly self-contained unit, as many of his earlier records stated, produced, arranged, composed, and performed by Prince, and he quickly became recognized for his monstrous talent. He was able to incorporate a blend of many musical styles on his records, 
and he was willing to try anything that suited his whims, everything from jazz to funk to rock, and yet it all somehow sounded like Prince. He was the leader and guiding light of the Minneapolis music scene, and as he was such a prolific writer, he gave songs he'd written to many different artists and mentored many others to varying degrees of success. It was said that he recorded music nearly every day, and his vault supposedly contains countless hours of unreleased material. He also cultivated an eccentric personality that did come through in the music, but also manifested an odd, often enigmatic public behavior. He was a weird dude, and he seemed to enjoy fucking with his public perception. He was reclusive and didn't give a lot of interviews, but when he did, he was soft-spoken and damn near impenetrable the majority of the time. However, his reputation as a live performer was unparalleled. He is considered one of the greatest to ever set foot on stage, and I will eternally regret never going to see him. He was an active recording artist from his debut album in 1978, right up until his death in 2016, churning out records at a rapid pace. But his heyday was the 1980s and early 90s, when his material was truly groundbreaking. Dirty Mind is often regarded as Prince's minimalist masterpiece, his first great album. I'm not exactly in the same camp, as I see this as a blueprint, the raw material that will shape into the really good shit coming up shortly after this. He's getting there, he's wheeling out the explicit lyrics and playing up the brazen sexuality. I mean, just look at the album cover. Our man's wearing bikini briefs under a long coat like a diminutive flasher. That said, I do very much enjoy this album, and I give Dirty Mind a three and a half. He's steadily progressing to superstardom, and in a few years he'll reach extraordinary heights. There's so much more I could say about Prince, but I'll save it for future podcasts. And finally, from the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews podcast, Prince Rogers Nelson, rest in peace. I'd like now to give a shout-out to a podcast that I enjoy listening to. It's called Peach and Black Podcast, based in Australia, go Aussies, and it is the definitive Prince podcast. It features roundtable discussions on all things Prince, and the level of depth and detail they provide is astonishing. I give it up for Rob S., Captain, Toe Jam, and Playa. So that's Peach and Black Podcast. Dig it. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also review the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way. And yes, I'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email. We'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me. And I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly... Here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later.
Damn, I'm glad this isn't a siblings on record episode. This sounds nasty, nasty, nasty. Having sex with your sister, incest shit. Ugh. Shannon, if you're listening, don't listen. Don't listen to this podcast. Close your ears. Turn it off. Turn it off. Ah!